So I started twerking last night. Dunno, just did. Was listening to the Radio Wolfgang app. Downloaded it, listened to it, real cool, you know. And the urge just took me to twerk. No, I was terrible, obviously. Come on. You could get caught in the cold, but... This is my attempt at being a um, photographer. Oh my god. Oh, this is when I was a business, young businessman. Oh my god. And had these pictures taken. My name is Robert. Um, I'm 63 years old. And I'm father to Evander, who has just turned 18. This is day agency. Yeah, I don't know, they're horrible. I think I look like a magnum private eye, don't I? Like a car salesman, a used car salesman. Well, it Evander like is. Um, Fairly slim, and he stands about um, five foot nine, five foot ten. He has a habit of wearing a shirt at all times. He's happy wearing a tie. He's even happier wearing a bow tie. I that. that was all posed, and I hated it. This is better. Yeah. It's me. You look quite cool. Evander has a wicked sense of humour, which is probably about his best quality, because I think in order to deal with some of the things he's had to deal with. It's great to have a good sense of humour. I really loved to play pretend when I was a kid. We used to put on plays for for my parents in the back garden. I always used to write them, and I always used to cast myself as the male lead. I would always <laughs> beat the villains and save the day, and I'd be the hero. And I can vividly remember when I was a child, like, wishing on my birthday, blowing out the candles, and just being like, please, can I just wake up? and be a little boy. Interestingly, Evander's perfectly happy to have pictures around the house of him as a toddler. No, got no problem with that. But teenage photos, they're all gone. This is a picture of me and my sister. I must have been about two or three in this picture, and as you can see, I'm the the chubbier one with the with the redder cheeks and the weird pineapple hairdo that I think my mum had, had put me on. I'm just plodding along. I'm a small human doing my thing. And I look quite happy. I think I was quite happy. But then obviously, as you get older, you are told these are the differences between girls and boys. That's when I started to feel a bit more uncomfortable when I knew that I was being put into this category of being a little girl, even though I didn't want to be that but I didn't feel like I could say anything. It became quite apparent to me that he was a tomboy. Uh, he didn't wear girls' clothes. He hated wearing skirts. He was much more comfortable in a pair of jeans. And I didn't think it was anything at all. When my parents divorced and I lived with Mum and I used to go and visit Dad, I always used to get Dad to take me round shopping and I used to make him buy me boys clothes and I used to wear boys pants 
absolutely everything for years until I was about 11 or 12. And then it kind of became socially unacceptable where it was like, okay, now is the time where tomboys, you know, they grow up and they become lovely, gorgeous young women. So I thought that was what I had to do. So I used to just take my sister's hand-me-down clothes and try and dress in them and try and look nice. And I didn't realise that it was supposed to come naturally to you. I thought that everybody just had to try really hard. His mother, my ex-wife, um, took him to Dubai together with his sister when her new husband had a job move. I'd seen them every weekend up to that point, but of course that was never going to happen once they'd gone to Dubai. I had them during school holidays, and of course every time I saw them, they were different. They were more grown up than they were before. We moved into this very, very new villa complex and, it, and the garden was literally sand dunes and there was nothing in the house. And it was really weird moving there. But I think we liked it, me and my sister, because it was a bit like a holiday at first, because it was all this hot weather and there was swimming pools and parks to play in. And it was a bit like an adventure. It wasn't so much about making friends because when you're a young kid, you can make friends with anyone. No matter how awkward you are, kids, kids will be kids, kids will play together. But it was more when I realized when I was 16, I started questioning just even my sexuality. It was confusing and difficult because there was not a lot of information out there because you know, the internet is censored and we weren't even allowed to learn about the Holocaust in history at GCSE. We had to look out for ourselves and even, even that a lot of the stuff on Google was blocked. And so I cut my hair when I was in year 10 and people ripped into me for it, which you'd think would be really weird because a lot of women have short hair, but over there, I was the only one. And that was apparently a sign of me being queer in some form. It was very intimidating to even think about being queer over there because you could get arrested for kissing someone of the same sex and that kind of thing. As I got older, it kind of became more restrictive and you kind of realised that the free, like, real world was back in England and that I'd been wanting for years and years to move back with Dad. The first thing I realised when he came here, having got off that plane, was that he definitely was not the child that I'd seen six months before. He'd suddenly become very moody and um, took himself to his room quite a lot. Subconsciously, after moving back to England, I had reverted and I started dressing in a more masculine way. I started to question my gender. And I just felt this overwhelming feeling 
I wasn't gonna be a conventional woman, if at all. So I didn't really know a lot about the scene until my friend who I dated on and off for three years moved to Canada and she transitioned and that's when my kind of world opened up to trans people for the first time. My friend Lana and I had been in very in-depth discussion for weeks about how I had been questioning my gender about and how I thought I was a trans man. I felt like I needed to be 100% sure before I, I came out to dad. The thought of having to go through transitioning was almost seemed like an, an insurmountable task to have to do. I think Lana and I decided that the best thing for me to do would be to write a letter. And that day I had been out shopping with my friend. I went on a big haul in all of the men's sections around town. And then coming home and trying it all on. I think I had also put a tie on. I felt like if I was wearing some of the clothes that I'd, I'd bought, I felt like that would help for some reason. In me coming out, if, if dad could look at me and it would be easier for him to see a young man after I'd come out to him. He was just sitting in his chair, as he always is, watching TV. He kind of looked over at me after about a minute of me standing there. I think he was a bit confused. He asked me what was wrong, and I just burst into tears. He slapped these two pieces of paper on the um, table. Uh, he'd obviously been crying, and he ran off upstairs. I thought, well, OK, it was about time you told me you were gay. Um, because I've, you know, known it for ages. Dad, this past year or two have been very difficult for me. I used to be fairly comfortable in my identity before cutting my hair in year 10 and people started making fun of me and calling me a variety of, of homophobic and transphobic slurs. After this, I went through a painful last-ditch effort of trying to be feminine and being the absolute best attempt at being a young woman that I could muster. This show I was putting on was slowly breaking me down until the point where I was completely raw. It was at this time that I had also been questioning my sexuality and I had determined that I was gay. However, after coming to England, I became free to express my true self without the fear of judgment from my peers in Dubai. To tell you the truth, I had no idea who I was anymore. At this time, I began questioning my gender as the remnants of my true younger self who wore boys' clothes and went by the names Mark or Drew began to surface once again. I dismissed this as being an intermittent 
phase as I thought that this masculinity and this discomfort with being female would end. My feminine self was fine with my masculine self existing, but my masculine self did not want my feminine self there at all. And she was dwindling very quickly. My feminine self was my absolute last attempt at identifying as cisgender. When Tamsin and I were choosing outfits for Emma's graduation, she suggested that I try on a dress and I cried because I felt like I was in drag. I often had and still have times where I resent my own rejection of femininity because being a young woman and being comfortable with that would just be so much easier. As I said, I dismissed these bouts of masculinity as phases and I thought that I would go back and I thought it would end. And so I put off coming out. I am transgender. I can't do anything about it. I need to transition with hormones and surgery to feel like a human being whose outside matches its inside. I'm so sorry that you have to lose a daughter. I can't be called my name anymore and I can't be referred to as she or her anymore. Please try to understand. I'm so uncomfortable in myself and my body. I love you and I value your opinion and perception of me over anyone else's. All my love. P.S. My trans friend Lana told me to tell you to research some of these scientific papers that have been published about how trans people's identities are valid and credible. Researching the science behind being trans might help you to understand how I'm feeling. It must have taken him a long time to write the letter to me. Um, I wouldn't think he's dashed it off in a couple of minutes. I, I certainly don't remember it being four pages of um, notepaper. And I don't remember him um, apologising to me in the letter that I was losing a daughter. That makes me quite emotional. One tends to shut all these things out, doesn't one? The most upsetting thought about the, the letter is the fact that he had to write it down. He couldn't come and talk to me about it. Because when you write someone a letter with something like that, and it's clear that you are terribly concerned that um, they're going to take it the wrong way. And uh, I'm a bit sad that he thought I might, really. I really hope he doesn't destroy this. When I first read that letter, I wasn't emotional at all about it because I just knew I had to um, rescue him from the predicament he was in. I was terrified of waiting to hear him walk up the stairs. What is going to happen? How is he going to react? even though I knew he was my dad and, and he loved me and, and he would do that unconditionally. 
I don't think it is something that anyone is truly, truly ready to do. And you kind of have to go through that initial horrible, like, 10 minutes of getting it out of the way. So I suppose he finished reading the letter and he came upstairs. Sat down on my bed, hugged me. I was the first one who spoke. What am I going to do? How am I going to walk around in public? I don't even look like a man. And he probably was lying, but he said to me, you look like a cool young man or something like that, something ridiculous like that. And that was just knowing that immediately he respected and he thought that I could do it. His focus seemed to be, okay, this is a problem I've been presented with. What can we do to progress? The only thing I was concerned about was getting that doctor's appointment and trying to move forward with my transition. Evander coming to me as trans was a new experience, so an awful lot to learn about what Evander needed to go through. I go to my computer late at night and I Google transgender. So it took me probably three or four days of intensive research. I did then find the Mermaids website and I made that phone call the next day and spoke to somebody there and there it is there. In that community, you will have all your questions answered. He very much caught up to my level of knowing what was going on very quickly. When I came out to my mum, it was about a week after I came out to my dad's side, so I'd already been thinking about names that I might want to choose for myself. And uh, my mum decided that she wanted me to keep my first initial. So I had to keep with, with the letter E. So I'm like, for goodness sake. Because if you think about men's names beginning with E, what have you got? You've got Edward, Ethan, Elliot. And then you've got things like Elvis and there's all kinds of weird names beginning with E. So I had to dig pretty deep. And before she decided on this, I, I had grown a liking to a lot of Roman names, like ancient Roman names. And so I'd, I'd been doing a lot of research on this. I really liked the name Cassius. And then I kind of made the connection in my head. Oh, Cassius Clay. That's Muhammad Ali. I thought that was really cool. So I was looking at... um like the whole boxing scene, even though I'm not into boxing at all. And I came across the story of Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, how Mike Tyson bit a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear off in the ring. So I looked up the meaning of Evander and I already knew that it was Roman, so I liked that. And it means good man. I really just liked the connotations that the name Evander gave me. And the fact that it began with E just made it so much easier to negotiate with my mom. And there was a point where I thought, oh my God, I've just legally changed my name to Evander. Like, am I going to regret this? But no, I'm pretty happy with it. My middle name is Dean. And because of how great my dad had been, 
doing the absolute best he could to make those things happen for me. I wanted to involve him in my choosing of my name, but I didn't want him going anywhere near my first name because I thought he'd choose something really uncool. And I just went into his room and I was like, Dad, I need a middle name. What, what is cool? What, what, what would you give me as a middle name? And he only thought about it for like 10 seconds. And he said, Dean. All the cool young lads when I was younger were called Dean because of James Dean. And <laughs> obviously he viewed me as a cool young lad. Um, and I was like, cool, that's that. I just wanted him to have some kind of involvement. And I like it. With his predicted grades for his O-levels, I'd found places for him at two schools locally, one of which was a girls-only high school, and the other one was um, entry into sixth form in the boys' grammar school. Now, of course, there was no way the girls' school... I was even going to fight that battle. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, OK, we're, we've got a place at the boys' grammar school as a, as a female but you're going to be going there as a male, so we really need to sort this out. I arranged to meet with the headmaster. Took Amanda with me. We sat down with the headmaster, and uh, it was great. He'd never had a transgender pupil in his school. However, his words were, oh, we chose you because of who you are, not because of whether you're a boy or a girl. They were brilliant and um, he's had great support and that was indeed the big turning point for us because it became clear to me that it was possible to do this. In the February of 2015, my dad and I approached a private clinic in London for me to start hormone treatment because for me the waitings on the NHS for treatments happen, it was going to be over a year. And I was not emotionally equipped or mentally stable enough to, to deal with that. I needed the treatment. So we approached this private clinic and um, we were seen and I had to have two counselling appointments. And then on the 20th of April, 2015, I was prescribed testosterone treatment from this doctor. So basically, every 12 weeks, I have to get a massive needle full of testosterone jabbed in my bum cheek. What the testosterone does is it makes my body go through male puberty just like any other guy would go through male puberty. So that would mean a deepening of the voice, um, muscle growth, general hair starting to grow everywhere, your hairline changes. Lots of things change that people don't expect. Your eyebrows get thicker, your fat will redistribute so you carry it less around your hips and you carry it more around your waist. And everything pretty much changes. But I will have to continue taking the testosterone for the rest of my life. The most difficult thing about the last two years with Evander has been managing his expectations. At the beginning, and I see this with a lot of the trans teens, they come out today and tomorrow they want the hormones and next week they want the operation. It isn't like that. So it's trying to get his 
head around that it's going to take time, but it will happen. I noticed a small drop in my voice after about three or four weeks, definitely, and it became very prominent in the first six months. There was a moment when I had been away for the weekend, when I had been about three or four months on, on testosterone, and I'd come home, and I was just talking to my dad in the hallway, and he looked at me, and he was just like, are you putting that on? And I was like, what? And he was like, your voice. And I was like, no. And then he like almost started to cry and he gave me a massive hug and he was like, I'm so proud of you, mate. And he like pats me on the back. He does that a lot, actually. He'll say like, I'm proud of you, mate. Just gives me a hug and pats me on the back. (laughs) It's really cute. But there have just been a few times, that time with my, my voice, I think especially, where he's been like just as excited about all of the changes and just as excited as me but a lot of things change slowly like my jaw and my face has really squared out you know my eyebrows have gotten a lot thicker the shape of my body has changed and it really is cool to look back and see what's changed and all of the things that I used to be so insecure about and resent because of the kind of female connotations that they had changing into features that I now am proud of the situation that Evander finds himself in now is that he's waiting for surgery. He has an appointment for his first consultation with the surgeon in October. Top surgery is chest reconstruction surgery. I feel like my top surgery later this year will be near enough the top of the list of significant things. Even though I don't have an extreme amount of discomfort about my chest, I think almost the 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 male rite of passage of being able to go and swim on the beach topless in complete comfort with my body will be a fairly big deal. Yeah, I'm excited. I guess I have the advantage in that I have had two years to build a father-son relationship with him which he hadn't had. He'd obviously had a father-daughter relationship, which I think is completely different. However, one you can't start thinking about stereotypes, because my first thing I said to him was, right, OK, so I guess you'll be coming to football now then. And of course, no. So he's not conforming to the male stereotype. So it's not as easy as that, but equally, Telling him how to go into a gent's toilet. Telling him how a bloke takes a jumper off. Do up a shirt differently, take off a shirt differently. So in order to pass, you need to learn some of these silly little quirks that men have. That's been fun. Every six weeks or so, um, my dad, myself, and my stepbrother, we all go down to the local, like, old fashioned men's barbershop and we all go and get our hair cut together. But I think it's fantastic. It's, it's like some weird, old fashioned father son bonding time that we have. Uh, number three on top, number two at the sides. I think Dad invited me because uh, when I had my hair cut short, I was going to 
women's hair salons and they were cutting it in more of like a feminine short style, almost like a pixie crop type thing. And I was kind of saying to dad, like, I know my hair's short, but like, I need it to be more masculine. And he was like, oh, you need to come to the barbers with me. You need to have them, you know, shave the back and sides and, and do all that. And he told me like, all the numbers, like, oh, zero is like nothing and eight is like really long. And he taught me all like the lingo of like how to how to be in a barber and how to deal with that. And the first time doing that was very like strange, but also I felt going to the barbers with dad was almost like a rite of passage in masculinity with him. To start with, it was very, very difficult for me to uh, refer to him with the correct pronouns um, and we kept slipping up on that. He was very polite about it but in order to do that you have to start forgetting about everything that went before. Deep down there is a grieving for um, the child that you used to have. As that child's gone and you've got a different child now. And you just need to sort of focus on being happy about that. But it became easier uh, once I'd um, arranged for him to have his hair cut, once he'd um, started to wear male clothing. Then very quickly, you'd look at him and you'd see a boy, and that makes it much easier. I don't think of anything other than him being my son nowadays. <laughs> I don't believe you. Probably you up. want a washboard stomach That's because pretty. that's, you know, what it, the magazine <laughs> says that a man should have, which is why I, you know, I know you're going to tattoo yourself to death, <laughs> trying to look macho. Just don't bother putting some, someone's name on your, your tattoo. <laughs> yeah, don't put dad on there, for sake. <laughs> I think it could be like, like a katana or something. A what? A samurai sword. I think even without me being trans, we do have quite a special like father-son relationship in, in the way that we operate and the relationship we have with each other. We're living in, in the house together, just the two of us. And the kind of conversations that we can have that people might find uncomfortable to have with a parent, we can absolutely have them and, and laugh about them. But then with me being trans on top of it and him being a single dad with a trans child is is very unusual. So I think there's that added level of uniqueness to our father-son relationship, definitely. I'm not sure what I would do for you. <laughs> I can't think of anything you just sum you up. <laughs> your first tattoo for me. I don't know how I'd sum you up in a tattoo. An untidy bedroom. Tracy Emin's bed, there we are. Tracy Emin's bed. How about that? That's exactly what your room looks like. I think he's really great in the respect that he is very much a normal guy and I feel like he keeps in mind that he was once a beginner and he's would never judge anybody for, for perhaps not knowing as much as he does because he knows that the whole society is, is learning about it together. Even though if somebody may ask me a question, I might get a bit get a bit iffy about it even though I know that you know some people don't know as much as as much as I might he 
does act as a, almost a guardian in that respect, as he can very much stay unbiased and, and my dad acts as like an extra barrier for that kind of thing. Lots of parents get bogged down with the fact this is catastrophic, they're going to change, they want to be this completely different person. How on earth is that going to work? And that's the thing, showing them that even two years down the line, and most people can think two years ahead, that things can be completely different. All this grief and stuff will, will go. Uh, and, and you'll come to terms with what's going on and your child will become a happier child. He's in a good place and uh, he's made a lot of friends um, at school and he's made a lot of friends in the trans community. And he's going to become some sort of ambassador, I believe, in the future for, for trans men. I always believe that there's a the contract between a parent and a child is not one where you expect the child to do things for you. You expect the child to do things for their children or for other people in the knowledge of that you would have liked them to have done that. I think a man defines himself and I'm not just saying that because I'm trans and I've had to go through all of this malarkey to be the man that I knew that I needed to be. It's because, especially these days, masculinity is not seen as such a fixed set of attributes or hobbies that a man might have. It's more about being the best man you can be. It is something that is more innate than something that is passed down to you from your father. Although your father may be a role model for you and you may take on some qualities, your father does not make you a man. You make yourself into a man that you would hope your father would be proud of. I think he's taught me quite a lot about what it is to be a man in his generation. I'm very proud of the man that Evander has become and the son that he is. Proud of everything he's done and I'm proud of what he is going to do with the rest of his life. I should never stop being proud of him. I'm proud to be his dad. This episode of Fathers and Sons was brought to you by Mr. Porter and the team at Radio Wolfgang. It was produced by Natalia Rodriguez and Ivor Manley. The executive producers were Ellie DiMartino and Harry Watson, featuring Robert Turner and his son, Evander Ribton Turner. A special thanks to Susie Green and everyone at Mermaids. To find out how to access support, please go to mermaidsuk.org.uk. Mm -hmm.